saw that video uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I knew that we were coming up on a break in between series, and uh, I was just so inspired uh, by Cody and just uh, what he has overcome, and I just love the idea of he's had this supportive uh, family who are followers of Christ, and and together as a family, they they have uh, allowed God to use uh, their story to uh, inspire people literally around the world. And I was thinking about things that we overcome in life, and the reality is that, that every single one of us, this is kind of a universal truth, that, that you, I, um, everyone, we, we have challenges in life. We have things that we need to overcome. Some of them are emotional some of them are physical, like Cody. Some of them are are spiritual, and and uh, you know sometimes it's you know it's it's our whole holistic being that 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 is under the weight and pressure. But that's that's really it. I mean that's 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 why we we uh, seek the blessing as we live in the midst of of the curse, and. And really, ups and downs are, are part of the challenge and the blessing and, and the fun that really authenticates life. You know, when we try to live a life that, that uh, avoids the joyful summits and definitely avoids the educational swamps, that really what we end up doing is starting to isolate ourselves by not taking risk. We're afraid to take that risk to, to form that new friendship, to have that conversation, to, to try that new thing. And by doing so, unbeknownst to ourselves, we're actually isolating ourselves from those, those God connections that are out there for us. And what ultimately happens, I believe, is what King David, before he was king, was what was writing about how he walked through the valley of the shadow of death. The darkness and the, the valley of the shadow of death is a, is, a, is, a, is a life of isolation. And I know this, this life of isolation, I've experienced it. I, I for many years in my life, kind of tried to, to go through life that, that was void of the, the joyful summits and, and, and void of and, and really just going as far away around the educational swamps that I could. As I tried to manage my emotions and, and, and my spirit and, and everything, and I ended up alone. And it wasn't until I opened up and, and, and believed that God had something more for me that I really started to experience true community. Tonight we're going to talk about two different kind of scenarios or times in, in Scripture that, that people are overcome by something. And I think that this, they are overcome by something that, that you and I are also challenged with on, on a daily basis. One of those is unbelief. And the other one is discouragement. 
And I want to spend a little bit of time in a really, uh, I think, informative and inspiring and telling story in the life of Jesus to begin. And it's found in Mark chapter 9. And it starts in verse 14, and basically the story is picking up where Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John off to this kind of special retreat and left the other nine disciples to do ministry. And it picks up, (coughs) when they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples, your followers, to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus Jesus said to them, Not the crowd, not the religious rulers, but his disciples, the nine that he had left behind. He turns to his disciples and says, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. And he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cries out, I do believe. But, over, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit, that makes this boy unable to hear or speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never to enter him again. Then the spirit screamed, ah! And threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd and people said, he dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. 
Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? And then Jesus says this very interesting thing. Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. Some manuscripts actually say, Jesus said this, this kind can be cast out only by prayer and fasting. Earlier on in Jesus' ministry, I don't know if you remember, but he had, he had told his disciples, hey, you know what? I don't want you to fast while I am with you. Because why should you fast while I am still here? And kind of this interesting idea that, that Jesus has said, hey, I don't want you to fast, and this kind can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. What is Jesus trying to say here? Perhaps Jesus is saying that this kind can only be thrown out by God, by the Holy Spirit, which will indwell in you eventually. And the same power that will eventually raise me from the dead will dwell in you, and you will, through the power of me, be able to cast out these spirits. But while I am Emmanuel, while I am here, you will not be able to do this. Now, I want to reset the story, but there's a couple of things that I just want to point out to you guys that I think maybe we miss in our English translation. And it's these two words, unbelief and disbelief or faith, faithlessness. Unbelief is the Greek word apostia. And apostia is simply a lack of belief. You have belief, but you have a lack of belief. And then there's the disbelief or the faith faithlessness, which is apostos. And apostos is actually a flat-out rejection of faith. So you have apostia, which is a lack of faith. I just do not have enough faith to step out of the boat, Jesus. And then there's the flat-out faith, uh, rejection of faith, apostos, which says, you know what, I don't even believe you are God, Jesus. I don't believe you have any powers. And I believe that this is an important distinction to understand what is really happening here. So Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John on this retreat to give them some special instructions and left the other nine disciples to do the work of the ministry. What was, was that, what was that work? Well, it was to proclaim the gospel. It was to holistically love God and to love people. It was to tell people that, that they matter to God and God loves them. It was there to be the tangible hand of, of Christ while he was in his absence and, and to uh, feed the hungry and, and to pray together. So when James, or excuse me, when Jesus, Peter, James, and John came back, did they, did they find the disciples telling people about the love of Christ? No. Did, did 
they find the other nine disciples feeding the poor or, or, or helping the sick? No. Surely they were praying together. No. What were they doing? Arguing. They were arguing with religious leaders. And not only were they arguing with other religious leaders, they were arguing with other religious leaders when there was a little boy who was obviously deathly ill. And not only was there a little boy who was deathly ill, but there was a father and perhaps an extended family there who were completely helpless and at the end of their rope and they were calling out to Jesus, this Messiah that they had heard had come and they had sought Him out. And when Jesus wasn't there, they pleaded with the nine followers that were there, please help us. And as they were sitting there, hopeless, what were the disciples doing? They were arguing with other religious leaders, probably about the nature of sin, or why they couldn't cast him out, or why these, this family had been, been overtaken by this evil spirit. This family is sitting there suffering physical and emotional and spiritual pain, and they're in an argument. It's no wonder that Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, you apostos people, you people of disbelief, you faithless people, how long have I been with you? This is Jesus going, really? Are you freaking kidding me? I go away for a little while. I ask you to be the tangible hand of me and to love on people while I'm gone. And you are in an argument with the religious rulers. What the heck have I been doing with you guys? And then he tags this on. How long must I put up with you? Now, I don't know what your RQ is, your relational quotient. But things are not good at this point. Jesus is not happy. And when Jesus is not happy, nobody's happy. I get this. I get where Jesus is at at this, at this point. I've been a coach uh, many times in my life, uh, and um, I'm coaching a junior cycling team right now. When I was in college, I, I coached uh, high school beach volleyball, several different beach volleyball teams. And this happened actually a lot of times, but uh, this is one kind of uh, incident that I'm going to tell you about. One thing that I would normally do is, as a coach back then, and, and I actually do now with my junior cyclists, that 
that I will take a couple of them or three of them to go work on something specific. It may be like a, hey, we need to fix this, or it may be, hey, you guys are doing really well. I want to teach you a new skill that the other people aren't ready for. So I take them away. Well, this one particular instance that uh, uh, all the kids were on the, the beach uh, uh, the sand volleyball courts, and, and we also had a gym, and I was going to take these, a couple of these kids over to the gym. So I gather the rest of the teams together, and I say, look, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to take these guys away, but I want you to work on some specific drills, some you know bumping and setting and, and, and spiking drills and things like this, and I also want you to run some certain game uh, uh, scenarios, you know, just kind of things that happen during a game so you can work on them and be ready for them. So I, I went off and we did our thing and we came back. You know what I found? Let me give you a hint. They weren't bumping, setting, and spiking. And they were not running game drills. Unless arguing with one another is a volleyball drill and arguing with one another is a game scenario, which I don't think it is. And I'm the coach. So they're sitting there arguing with each other. You know what they were arguing about? They're arguing about who's going to run the drills. What drills are we going to run? What are we going to do? And I'm like, seriously? How long have I been with you guys? And how much longer do I have to put up with you? Right? It's like, look, you guys are arguing about how or who when I told you exactly what to do. And this is exactly kind of the frustration that, that Jesus was coming up with. And this scenario has played out for every single coach probably ever in history, and probably most bosses. <laughs> Definitely for Jesus, on multiple times that I can think of in the New Testament, for pastors, for parents, for teachers. This happens again and again. So, Jesus comes back, and so what does he do? Does he join in the idiotic argument? Going like, let me take this. I, I am going to wow them with tulip. You guys know what tulip is, the seven points of Calvinism. Or, or I am going to wow them with dispensationalism. Or I am going to introduce Arminianism to them and we will, we will conquer them with our, with our debate skills. And can somebody get this crying family out of here? Because they're messing up our theological debate. We laugh, but it happens all the time. No. No. Jesus slaps his disciples on the hand and then immediately turns to his father. Ignoring the religious rulers, ignoring his followers. And he asks the father about his concerns. What is hurting you? What is going on 
in your family. And this is where we get to the hinge point of the whole story. Where the father asked Jesus for help. And then he says, if you can. And then Jesus says seven words that I believe every follower of Christ should wrap their soul in. That every single one of us should just immerse ourselves and be covered in these seven words that Jesus says to help us overcome. Jesus turns to this broken man with his broken family. He says, anything is possible if a person believes. Those are seven powerful words given straight to you and me from our Lord Jesus Christ. Can a boy with no legs compete in a triathlon and inspire people in Tallahassee thousands of miles away? Anything is possible if a person believes. Can a foolish rebellious son be brought to the cross in his 20s who had no time for God beforehand and to be brought in to the gospel story? Seven words. Anything is possible if a person believes. I get this one a lot. Can a godless, mocking spouse become a fully devoted follower of Christ? Say it with me. It's powerful. Anything is possible if a person believes. How about this one a little closer to home? Can a little church in Tallahassee build homes for the homeless in Guatemala? to start nursing schools and teach mothers how to care for their children in Haiti. Free children from child trafficking in Africa. Or adopt 76 families in our very inner city and and supplement their groceries. Say it with me. Anything is possible if a person believes. And at this, the father cries out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Not apostatos, not disbelief, not rejection, not saying, Jesus, I don't believe you can do it. But apostia. I just have a little bit of belief, Jesus. I had enough belief to make it here, but you weren't here and and everybody's arguing and I I just don't have it. I'm done. I'm too emotionally and spiritually broken. My son is physically broken and spiritually broken. Jesus, 
I need you to help me overcome my apostia, my lack of faith. And at this point, Jesus takes that little bit of faith and he heals the father's son. But as a, as a dad, E, you can testify. I believe that the father was healed that day too. And that family was healed that day too. I can tell you as a father, if one of my children were broken and I was desperate and hopeless and I just had a apostia faith and Jesus came in and healed my child. That my apostia faith would change. And I believe that Jesus healed this father's apostia faith and it became a big, hairy, awe-inspiring Mufasa faith. You guys know Mufasa faith, right? Remember those big rodents in the Lion King, the hyenas, hyenas, the hyenas, hyenas. You know, you know. And remember what they would do? Like somebody would say, Mufasa. And they go, ooh, right? That's Mufasa faith. Faith so big, hairy, just awe-inspiring that you can, that person has Mufasa faith. You can, it gives you shivers. I know people who have Mufasa faith. Not faith in Mufasa, but just the, just the, 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 the words or the understanding or the visual effect of their faith. It sends shivers. Cody, that kind of Mufasa faith, that kind of belief like, I want to do a triathlon. Cody, you have no legs. So what? I'm going to do a triathlon. I'm going to swim. I'm going to bike. I'm going to run. Okay. And he does it. How does he do it? He does it because of what Jesus says. Anything is possible if a person believes. The next thing that many Christ followers must overcome is discouragement. And there's no doubt that there's more than enough discouragement to go around. You don't have enough discouragement in your life? You can have some of mine. I have plenty. Right? All of us have discouragement. It's discouraging when you don't get the promotion or the raise that you're expecting, right? Yes, no, maybe so. Yeah. Or if your friend doesn't live up to their potential or they disappoint you, yeah, it's discouraging. How about if people don't appreciate the hard work 
or the things that you do for them. Yes, it's discouraging. Or how about this? You, you're trying to lose a few pounds and a peanut butter pie sneaks into your home at night and crawls into your mouth and forces you to eat it. It's discouraging, right? And it's also discouraging when we don't live up to our potential. We don't live up to the vision that God has for our lives. When we don't live up to being the spouse or the friend or the parent or the co-laborer in Christ that, that we know we can be. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. He says, I'm not overstating it when I say the man who caused all the trouble hurt all the all to all of you, or excuse me, hurt all of you more than me. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome with discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. You know, every time somebody falls in our family of faith, that it doesn't only hurt them, but it, it hurts all of us. And the reality is when you're doing life together, when you are in close proximity, if you stumble, you can bruise or, or, in, or perhaps even injure somebody. Like I was saying, I'm a cycling coach for juniors, and I don't know if you've ever watched the Tour de France or you've you know, just kind of watched uh, cyc uh, cycling races and stuff like that, but they're all like bunched up together, right? Have you seen that? Yeah. And uh, it's called a peloton, which is basically just French for a group. And, and this, this peloton is, as they're going around, they, you know, they don't just like each other or, you know, like how each other smell or something like that. There's actually a benefit to the peloton. In fact, guys with pocket protectors and calculators and everything have figured out that if you are in a peloton in one of those tightly, you know, tight groups that, that you can actually uh, uh, save about 40% of your energy if you're in the peloton. Not up if you're up front, but if you are in that peloton protected from the, the adversity, the pushback of the wind and all these other things. And I try to explain to my kids like, hey, you know what, when we group up that we can achieve more together than if we were alone. And this, the, the reality is, is that we're all part of a peloton of faith. That we come together and we go really close. But when we're really close, like in cycling, that, that bumping can happen or injury, or sometimes we fall, and sometimes we take other people out with us. And as a coach, they give us drills. They give us drills on how to bump and, and cross wheels and things like that. Why do we do that? Because we, you know, want to see kids hurt? No. We do that to teach them how to respond. And that's kind of how in our peloton of faith and in our church, that we do our growth groups and we have our Sundays and all of these kind of things that, that it teaches us how to do life together so that, that we can move together and we can go farther and we can go faster and do more than we could ever do alone. 
But there are risks involved. And that's why we come together and, and, and when bumping happens or when injury happens or when somebody falls or when, you know, it takes out other people with it, like Paul's talking about, that we pick that person up and we don't throw them out and say, you can't go with us anymore. We invite them to come back in and help them get back up to speed. Perhaps this whole Peloton of Faith idea is articulated best uh, by the writer of Hebrews in 10.25 where, where the writer says, and let us not neglect meeting together as some people have. But let's continue to meet together warning each other and encouraging each other, especially since the time of the Lord is near. And this is what I want you to do. If you're just kind of riding your journey of faith off on your own, I, I want to encourage you to join our Peloton of faith. To come up, you know, in the in the back of the peloton and 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 to to just get a feel for it and as you become more comfortable and you you become stronger to come up into you know more into the center of the of the peloton and when you're strong enough to take your turn doing pulls at the front and blocking the wind for others cuz i believe that together, when we're working together, that we can go further and farther and faster than we ever could alone. And I also believe that anything is possible if a person believes. Will you guys pray with me? Dear God, I just um, thank you for this, this time together, this evening, this opportunity to talk about higher level things. God, I just pray that you will just help us overcome if we have apostia, if we have unbelief, that you will help us in our apostia, you will help us in our unbelief. God, if we are discouraged, I just pray that you will bring encouragement. God, that you will teach us to be a true peloton of faith, to be able to ride in close proximity together. And then when bumping and injury or maybe falling happens, that we will pick up our fellow sojourners and we will ride toward the prize, the unfettered life with you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.